I was reading an illustration as, as I was looking at the message today, and I came across this message, and uh, it is so real and so true to the pastoral duties. As time rolls, and I look across the congregation this morning, uh, uh, I remember when some of those that are adults today were just babies in your mother's arm. Uh, I'll, never rec- I'll never forget recalling the nursery in our older sanctuary that we had. The back, back wall, was there was a door opening, and immediately that went into the nursery. Well, we didn't have enough air conditioning, really cool air anything, so uh, uh, they had kept the door open in the nursery in the summer so it would be decent while they took care of the babies. Through the years, I've watched as babies would, would get restless in the service, and, and the mother wasn't wanting to leave the service, and she'd reach in the diaper satchel, and she'd pull out a pacifier. And she'd put that pacifier in that baby's mouth, and that baby would start sucking on that pacifier, not realizing for a moment that that was fake food. <laughs> fake food. But the more he pulled on that pacifier, he realized that he wasn't getting the real thing. So he would begin to, that baby would begin to fuss. It would begin to make noise. It would begin to cry. And eventually the mother would reach into that satchel and pull out the bottle and the baby was content. Or if, there, if he wasn't being bottle fed, they left the sanctuary, went to a private place, and, and pulled out something else to feed the baby. And that was all okay. It brought quietness uh, to the congregation. But you know, uh, as I look across the world today, and I watch as people come and go to the house of God, I pray that everyone that stands behind a podium today will give the real news, not fake news, about how good the Lord is. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He said you can cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He said you can put all your trust in him, and if you'll acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. He's the best leader that a church can depend upon today, and the days that we get weary and well-doing, he also wants to empower us with the Holy Spirit so we can mount up with wings as eagles. We can run and not be weary. He doesn't want anybody to quit his family. He doesn't want you to walk out on his relationship with you. He's invested his life in you. He loves you unconditionally. He's going to see you through, but he wants you to trust him. I've used this illustration several times, but a gentleman got too close to the wall of Grand Canyon one day, and his foot slipped, and down the wall he went. Along the way, as he went down the wall of that Grand Canyon, he began to reach for something. Finally, he reached a limb that just came through his hands, and he held on for dear life. He looked up, and it was a long ways up from where he had tumbled, and he looked down, and it was a long way to the bottom. And he had remembered in his early days of going to church and and hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he remembered that in time of trouble, never forget and always know you're to pray. So knowing that, realizing no matter which direction he looked, things weren't looking good. And he began to pray, Lord, if there's somebody up there that can help me, let them see my need and rescue me. The third time he said that, he heard this voice turn loose. He looked to the bottom, he looked at the top, and he said, is there anyone else up there that can hear me? 
in our walk with the Lord many times, sometimes we feel like we're hanging on for dear life. Sometimes we, it's, we're so far down that it's hard to see up. And so sometimes we look down and we just don't know how things are going to work out. But I can tell you one thing. God's word said he'll work everything out for your good if you'll trust him. And walking with the Lord isn't about religion. It's about trusting him enough to get involved with what he wants us to do. It's about a relationship. We abide in him and he his word abides in us. We can ask what we will and it shall be done. Listen to me. God is on the throne today and prayer still changes things. God, God forbid that today that we come to the pulpit, we don't have some good news about the greatest news that's ever been shared. And it's found and recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let me ask you, would you love the unlovable that you would give the only son that you had? Not me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm honest with you this morning, not me. But to God in heaven, who created us in his own image, breathed that life into our, our nostrils, and we became a living soul. He loved us enough that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, not gets religion, not gets religious, but everybody who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We're turning this morning to the final message entitled, Give Me Your Shame. Today we're finishing the series on fear, guilt, and shame. And for the last two Sundays, we talked about putting the old man aside and putting on the new man. We visited the scene in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve have, had it, it, ate the forbidden fruit. We talked about Adam's response as God paid a house visit to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And their response to God after they had failed to follow God's word. When God said to Adam, where are you, Adam? Adam responded with these words. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We talked about the shame and the guilt of humanity when you and I as Christians fail to do what we as Christians need to do according to God's word. We began to deal with fear, doubt, and shame. What happens to many people as they realize reality is set in when they have made a mistake or when they have failed to follow God's command? They immediately shame. And many times it's not the shame of knowing that God knows all things, but it's the shame of what are people going to say. Our relationship with the Father is not built upon performance, but it's built upon the obedience of God's command. As we as Christians, when we do fail to obey the word and, and, and receive what God's word has to say, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, approaches with his great tools called fear, guilt, and shame. What does the Father teach us to do? I say this many times because I have been so blessed to have a thousand hours of pilot time in the sky uh, flying an airplane, uh, in fact, about three airplanes. But, but through the study of flying, I have, I have read more than one time how pilots are killed because not because of the performance of the airplane, but because of a lack and a failure to do what he was trained to do, and it's called pilot error. It's the same, same thing with you and I walk with the Lord. It's not the failure of the Lord when we see something fail in our life. It's not the failure of God's word. Sometimes we even hear this from the voice of Christian people. Well, it's just not God's will for this to happen. 
Listen to me. God answers prayer in many ways. And if you're waiting on a, a prayer to be answered, if you're getting weary and waiting on the Lord, the Bible says, be of good cheer. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I'm going to finish with you, so don't cut and run. Many people, even in the ministry, we're finding that, that, that records show that uh, many pastors are leaving the ministry today for secular jobs because the t many times of challenge and the many times when things just don't seem to go right, it gets discouraging and they become defeated. Maybe it's an error that they've made. Maybe they're not being received by their congregation. And it comes a time to part ways and go another way. And it's those times when shame, as many times a minister leaves the community or leaves the ministry for a secular job, it's that time when he get, deals with, what could I have done to make the job any better? How could I have approached so people would have heard the good news of Jesus Christ? As we look at the me message this morning, shame is a sense of failure before the eyes of someone. How many have ever did something that you were ashamed of later? I'm not looking, but I can tell you one thing. I've did my share. Well, I can remember some things that are not even repeatable from the congregation to the congregation when I was a preacher's kid. And I, I, the reason I was ashamed is because somebody seen me and somebody told my mom and dad. And boy, I'm telling you, it was shillelagh time then. Shame is a horrible thing that comes over us when, when there becomes discipline and when there comes a time when we have to reconnect and, and pick up where we left off and do the right thing. Shame is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against Christians. Though. And can I say this? Uh, sometimes shame is the greatest tool the enemy uses with parents on children. My mother was a specialist when she would say, shame on you. You know what shame does? It, we already know we're guilty, right? It's kind of like getting caught for speeding, the lights on, but we're still rolling. We went on a ski trip one year. Coming down off of the mountain, the ski slope had closed. Coming off the mountain was one of my elders, and we were driving fairly slow. The, the road was, had some ice and snow on it. But when we got to the bottom of the hill, well, I could see these flashing lights before we got there. And when we got there, I, I was saying, oh, Lord, don't let that be one of our group. But when we got there, it was one of the elders. And this highway patrol had his tablet out, and he was writing, I love you. <laughs> we got to the lodge that evening, and I found my way, and I slipped by the elder, and I said, uh, I see that you had a board meeting along the highway this evening. Oh, he said, Pastor, it wasn't what the ticket cost. It embarrassed me. I was so ashamed that you drove by and caught me in the act. Shame. Shame. You know what? Shame adds on guilt. And guilt adds on, on a, a horrible spirit that comes upon us. And shame and guilt and fear our partners and their first cousins in any attack of, of, of our lives. And the intense pain of what we're going through, feeling the unworthiness, feeling being disconnected, a feeling of being unlovable, a sense of failure before the eyes of somebody. In other words, it's not so much the guilt that someone saw you and now you feel your failure in their eyes, so you become paranoid. You want to go hide. Paranoia is like a prison, and Satan loves to lock up Christians in a prison of paranoia. And you think everybody knows 
I said this last Sunday, but I see about half of you that weren't here last Sunday. Let me say it, repeat something that's said. Everybody doesn't know you're not that important. The enemy just wants you to believe everybody knows. Oh, that didn't bring down the house, but it's still true. It's still true. Listen to me this morning. Shame was put on Jesus so you don't have to carry it. And everybody should say, amen. Shame was put on Jesus so you don't have to carry it, and many Christians don't get it. Let me say that again. Many Christians don't get it. Thank you, Craig. And today, if you're carrying shame, 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast it all on Jesus because he cares for you. Put it on him. You don't have to carry it any longer. Let, let, me, let me show you what Jesus did for you and I. It came in a prophecy between six and 800 years before Jesus was ever born. In Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 through 9, is a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my ad adversary? Let him come near me. Verse 9, surely, surely the Lord will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment, and the moth will eat them up. Jesus became the object of shame when they parted his garment and left him between two thieves as he shed his blood on the cross. Jesus suffered the shame of rejected, rejection recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, 46. And there had never been a separation between Jesus and his Father. But Jesus went through the shame of rejection so that he would know and he would want you to know that you will never be rejected by your heavenly Father. It's called relationship, not religion. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's Satan's business this morning. I want everybody to look at me. Punch your neighbor. Tell him the pastor's doing pretty good. There's three people that you're going to be an alarm clock. They're going to wake up. Thank you for your help. Awesome. Awesome. It's Satan's business to put you in the prison of shame when you've made a mistake. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one in the building. Is, is, and I know I may, I may uh, puncture a balloon or two. I don't think so. But nobody in this building this morning is perfect. The reason I know is because Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, the enemy will say, you've got yourself in a mess. You can just stay there till you learn your lesson. Anybody ever heard that? And Satan uses a voice just like the Lord uses a voice. You've got to de de determine who's speaking to you. Right. Number three, you got yourself into the mess. You can just get yourself out of this mess. Oh, don't shout me down now. And number four, when you're dealing with shame, you hear people say, well, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I never did that, anything that bad. 
Come on, smile, or I'll think that's you. You know, I'm not sure that I haven't said that before. And I know I have kids here this morning that probably have said, you got yourself into this, get yourself out of it. What if our Heavenly Father talked to us like we talked to our kids? Oh, boy, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting down where the pedal hits the metal now, aren't we? How many would like to just do it all over again? I'm telling you, we've all, this is the reason we come to church, not to hear something that will make us feel good, but we need to be challenged every day because we don't want to repeat any more mistakes again. There's no honor in repeating mistakes, but there's always honor in doing good. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Isn't that great? I'll tell you, that's awesome. That's awesome. Are we there yet? No, but we're on the right road. How's that? We may not have arrived, but we've left, and that's good news. The Word of God is there to show us that we all need help from Jesus. Beware when you think you're strong, the Bible says, lest you fall. Be angry and sin not. We, we meditated upon that the past two Sundays. Don't get angry. If you get angry, if you get angry, the Bible gives you the, the source of what to do when you're angry. Grab you some super glue and don't say anything. I don't know about you. I'm tired of saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Um, we'll move on to the next point. I see I'm the only one here that's, uh, where was I when I left off? No, we have to realize the benefits of what Jesus did for us when he was nailed to the cross. He took all of our sin, our shame, our guilt, our anger. He took it and nailed it to the tree so we could go free. I want everybody to take a deep breath this morning. And I want you to say this, I'm free. I'm free. Oh, come on, I want all of you to say that. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. That's good. That's good. The scripture is here to show us that we all need help from Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's none of us that can go through a day but what the grace of God that brings salvation appears to us. His grace opens doors for us. His grace closes the doors for us. The grace of God allows angels to encamp around about us. So that we can say, I will fear no evil because he's with me. His rod and his staff, he comforts me. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Not only does that, he does, do this, but he puts his stamp of approval on you when he anoints your head with oil. I was never so angry as I was one morning when I came to church. I was sitting on the front pew beside Sherry. We had this awesome man of God. And I had put on a brand new suit that, a, that another pastor had bought me. It was, a, it was not an, uh, a cheap suit. He had got it on sale, and I think the best I remember, I don't remember, it was a $400 suit, whether it was on sale then or whether he bought it for half price. But this special guest was, was getting ready to preach, and he says, Abba, that's what my brothers call me when they couldn't say Orville. And he picked up on this years ago. He said, Abba, would you come over here and stand, sit on the altar? I knew that he was getting ready to say some kind words, how long we'd known each other, places we had gone, and things we'd done. Instead, he picks up a flask of olive oil, and he unscrews the lid as he walks over to where I'm at, and he turns that flask upside down, and oil begins to run through my hair that I'd worked 20 minutes on to get everything right, and it begins to drip off of my earlobes. That was one of the most unsanctified moments I'd ever had in church. 
And inside, this, this, this voice is rolling. It'll be a cold day in Chester before he ever comes back. Besides, I hope this oil doesn't come out of this new suit. I'll hang it in my closet and I'll show him every time he comes by. Before the message was over, I realized I needed to be anointed with fresh oil, not stale oil. God was doing a work in my life that only God knew about. And this evangelist was just being obedient to what the Lord was told him to do. And what he, he was told to do made me angry. But thank God you, many of you were here, so I didn't say what I wanted to say to him then. I didn't want you to say, shame on you, pastor. I sent the clothes, the suit to the cleaner the following week. You won't believe what I did when after I laid the money on the counter and got out to my pickup to hang that suit on the hanger. I pulled the wrapper back to see if there was any living proof that he had ruined this suit. Not a spot. And I thought about the song, and the blood of Jesus cleanses me. And the blood of Jesus cleanses me. Listen to me. The scripture is not in, recorded in the Bible to make you feel bad. We had an awesome, Jared did an awesome job. He's teaching the book of James in his Sunday school class. I'm not saying this to bring you out of your Sunday school class. If you're in another Sunday school class, don't you dare show up in Jared's Sunday school class next Sunday morning. But I'm saying this to everybody that wasn't in Sunday school class this morning. He started on the book of James today. And the first thing he said, the book is not there just so help me out jared the book reads you you're not to read the book i got it i got it he's looking at me i can see those eyes looking over that counter (laughs) you're the bible is not given to us just to read the bible is there to read us and it does it does the word of god says in james 2 and verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's guilty of breaking them all. And when we fail the test and see, and see that Jesus never fails the test, many times, nearly every day, we, make a, we have a shortcoming or we, we do something that we wish we hadn't have done. But Jesus always passes the day and he never flunks one question about life. And here's what he says. He already knows the score that I made. There's some tests that I don't pass. But I know when I look at his test grade, it's always perfect. And mine is not. Here's the reason that Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. This is a reason that he wants you to know he loves you and he cares for you and he knows the trial and the test you're going through. Here's what he says. He doesn't say shame on you. He doesn't say, I've talked to you. You hear it every time you go to Elm Grove. But look what you did. Not our father. Here's what he says. Tell you what I'll do. I'll give you my test grade, and I'll take yours. That's called relationship with the father. That beats any religion that I've ever heard about. We sing that song years ago, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. 
And he doesn't just do that when we made a home run in a World Series. He doesn't just tell us that when our grades are good. He tells us that in our low times. It's Christ who justifies us. Scripture's there so that we all know that we need help from Jesus. Hebrews 4.16, I've said it already, let us therefore come boldly. When do we need to do that? When shame and anguish is crushing us and we need help. It's important that you know that God's Word is a road map and tells us what to do no matter what's going on. Romans 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we can obtain mercy. What do we need when we've made a mistake? We need mercy. We don't need scolding. We don't need to bear the stripes that Jesus bore at Calvary. He nailed it all on a tree. He always knows when one of his kids says, Lord, forgive me. I want to do better than I've ever done. You know, I, I think about the, the Lord and I think about Jesus and the price that he's paid for our, our, our salvation. And uh, I think about humanity and what he deals with every day, especially the things that I know about in my life. In spite of of the mistakes that we all make. Jesus says these words, Behold, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and the things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you know what keys are a symbol of? Authority. Authority. What is there this morning that's eating on you like a moth eats on cloth? What is there that's eating on you like cancer eats on our human body? What is there today that eats through your flesh like the acid off of a battery that's in your automobile? Jesus wants you to know today, he nailed it all on the tree so you could go free. Here's the great thing about the relationship with our Heavenly Father. He'll never go to the tree and yank it off and give it back to you again. You know why? Because his relationship is more than what you've done. His blood is more powerful than all of the things that you've done incorrectly. And he wants you to know the blood of Jesus still washes white as snow. How about this? When we're going through the trial of our faith, we can turn again to God's Word and let God's Word uh, be our lamp and our feet and the light to our pathway. It's that study times that allows the Word to study us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, Behold, I give unto you all authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And get this, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You ever been hurt before? Not by her. <laughs> Time is short. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on him every Sunday. Listen to me. Listen to me. You ever been hurt before? He took all your pain and suffering. He nailed it to the tree so you could go free. Free. You're free. You're free. Paul says in he said, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that easily besets us so that we can run the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. And today he's at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? Right next to his chair, he's, he's, he has a pew waiting for you. And, and, and the Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Not only has he blessed us, but he's created a place for us to sit in heavenly places. 
He wants you to take a seat this morning. He wants to talk to you. He wants to share the love that he has for you. He wants to share the joy that he has for you. He wants to share with you the strength that he has for you as you continue to put your trust in him. Oh, you may say, Pastor, you just don't know what I'm going through. You just don't understand the trial that's really racking my faith today. No, I don't. But I do know in the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned. In judgment, it'll be condemned. And he goes on in the next verse, he said, and this is your heritage. This is because you have a relationship with me. This is because of my love for you. The heritage of the Lord is that 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 evil tongue will be judged in judgment. You don't have to listen to it today because God has already nailed it to the tree so you can go free. Jesus suffered the shame of rejection. He came to his own. The Bible says his own family rejected him. Jared reflected on that this morning as he opened the book of James, chapter 1. Verse 1 is as far as we got. Jesus was suffered the shame of rejection. He suffered the shame of our sinful nature. He suffered the shame of our sins. Every sin that you ever have, Jesus carried it to the cross. And he nailed our sins to the cross so we could go free. How about this? 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. And he made... Him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God. Let me just put that in Chester terminology. He became what I was so that I could become what he is. That's the righteousness of God. If you've accepted him as your personal Savior, you're in right standing with the Lord. Righteousness just means you've you've decided to follow Jesus and you're walking his footsteps. It doesn't mean anybody's perfect. It just means you made a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. Joshua one day looked upon the evil of this world and he said, if it be be good in your eyes to serve the God of Baal, you go ahead. But as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He knew what the relationship could bring him. He knew the heritage that he could have. He knew the friend that could stick closer than a brother. Today, I close with Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what may be eating on you this morning, no matter what your past may have been, there's a universal call that's recorded in Matthew's gospel that, that, that met my need one day as I was traveling down a road to despair, that I was running trying to find something that would satisfy my life. And I found it in Mark cha- or Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And that universal call was, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, friend, this morning there's a rest wherewith the weary shall be made to rest. There's a lot of people this morning. You're weary. You've followed the Lord many years, and it just doesn't seem like things are going your way. Jesus is saying to you this morning, Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Don't let the enemy cause you to be a casualty. You, all, you have to agree with the enemy before you'll ever become a casualty in following Jesus. If he nailed it all on the tree today, you need to take a deep breath and say, Thank God I'm free. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We're just free. Humbleness is recognizing that God took your sin, your shame, and your guilt to the cross. 
and nailed it there. Humility is submitting your life to Christ and choosing to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you bow your head this morning? The clock always runs the fastest on Sunday morning. If your head is bowed today and just you and Jesus are in that world for just a few moments, we're getting ready to leave. The afternoon is packed with activities. and We'll have fun, food, and fellowship. But I just want to talk to you for a moment before we dismiss today. You're here this morning. You've been locked in the prison of despair. It just seemed like it, every time you've tried, it just got a little worse. And maybe the things you tried to accomplish, you were put down over. And today, you're glad you're here because the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. There's something going on. The wheels of the wagon of your life are rolling today. You're not real sure about how things are going to turn out, but today you're so glad you're in God's house. You're so glad that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. And he he knew at Calvary what you would be facing today. And these words were carefully penned for you and for me. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Lay aside the weight. The sin that easily besets us so, so, so you can run the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, who's the author, the finisher of our faith. That's you this morning. I want you to raise your hand this morning. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean you're a Christ, not a Christian. But this morning, you, you're, you've just been locked in a prison of despair. And you want to say this morning, Pastor, thank you for telling me the truth. I, I needed words of encouragement this morning. I'm still on the team. G- Jesus had kicked me out. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm going to make a decision this morning. I'm not going to leave here like I came. My mind will not be tangled with the affairs of this world, but I'll allow the Holy Spirit to wrap itself into my spirit, and I'll leave here stronger than when I came. Can I see your hands while we wait just a moment? God bless you. God bless you this morning. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. As you stand this morning, Jared's going to close the service in prayer. But I thank you for being honest this morning. God sees your hand. He knows your need. And he's always able to do exceeding abundantly and above all that we're able to think or ask. As Jared comes this morning, we say to you, God bless you. What a joy it is today to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the best is yet in store. Father, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come into your house and God to, to not just hear your word. You, you, for your own word says that we're not just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Therefore, we don't deceive ourselves. And so, Father, this morning I thank you that we, we're not just hearers, but God, we're doers. We're going to act upon what we've just heard in this place today. Father, I thank you for that blood, that blood that covers our sin, that covers our shame, that covers our guilt covers our hurt, our our pain, our fear. And so, Father, this morning I pray for every hand that was raised. God, I pray that you would touch them and minister to them this morning through your word today. God, encourage them. Surround them with, with, with people who will do nothing but lift them up and strengthen them and encourage them in word and in spirit. And so, Father, I ask for you just your many blessings to go with us this morning. God, again, thank you for your word. We know your word is sharp, it's powerful, and God, it pierces right to our heart. So, Father, we stand up on your word this morning. Therefore, we stand up on the rock of who you are. And God, I ask your blessing today as we leave this place. Go with us, lead us, guide us, and direct us in all that we do and all that we face. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus.
And everybody said, Amen.